Welcome to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast dedicated to being publicly curious about creativity, commerce, and culture. Hosted by myself, Nikita Walia, a brand builder and strategist with over a decade of experience. Together, we'll explore the many dimensions of modern brand building and how cultural codes evolve to build new models for commerce. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Thinking Out Loud. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, a dear friend of mine, Tynan Sinks. Tynan is an award-winning beauty columnist, a senior copywriter, and a consultant with over 10 years of experience in the industry. His work is featured everywhere, literally in all of your favorite publications, including Vogue, The New York Times, Allure, Elle, Nylon, GQ, and more. Tynan joined me to talk all about beauty, wellness, luxury, and how all of those industries are changing. We even get into celebrity brands. I really hope you enjoy our conversation today. Hey, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here on your podcast. I know. It's like so weird because I've like listened to your podcast and like love listening to you and Sable talk oh, shit. It's just started <laughs> off like that's my favorite part, low key, of the podcast. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I feel, you know, we've, uh, the show, um, our show, Smell You Later, uh, is a, a scent and fragrance and smell podcast, sort of, you know, running the gamut of scents at, in the world and on your body and all that. And, but really, it's just like two best friends talking shit most of the time. Not most of the time. I mean, like, we're also like very well established and well connected beauty editors. And, you know, we're fragrance experts that we don't claim to know everything. So I think it's a nice balance of like what we yeah. know and what we do and who we are. But I think as our audience has grown, which we've been very lucky to, um, see a lot of growth very fast you know we're, we're getting more people not from our you know immediate circles and work yeah. circles and yeah and audiences and you know I, some people like don't get it um yeah. <laughs> which is which is fine it's not for everyone um but i'm happy to hear that you get it because uh, we're catering to people like you we're not catering to anyone but it's like yeah i give a shit about what you think so um oh. and sorry i just la- launched right into like talking about my podcast but i'm happy that you listen so thank you <laughs> no free promo okay <laughs> <laughs> um i'm so excited to have you here i feel like you have had such an interesting expansive career in beauty and wellness and like I just remember like I think like when I was like looking for the email of like us going back and forth about this I saw your email like spiraling to me about moving to New York yeah and I was like it's been such a journey so just love for everyone to like get to know you the way that I do and no totally I, I, I was thinking about that too because you I don't know we've been mutuals online for years and years and I don't know how that started but I do remember like right when uh, it was like the end of 2018, the beginning of 2019. And I was like, all right, like, I think I was living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time, a city that I really love from the Midwest, which I also really love, but I, New York was always sort of like the goal. Uh, and I sort of loosened my grip on it as I got a little older, but I, you know, the year turned over and I was like, I think this is it. I think New York is what I need to do, or at least really mm-hmm. try for a year. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least I could say that I tried. Luckily, it worked out and it worked out pretty fast. But I remember uh, reaching out to you, you you being one of the first pieces of outreach that I did. And like, I didn't know you all that well, but I knew that you knew your shit and you were, forgive the phrase, but like a boss. And yeah. I was just like, listen, 
can I just talk to you for like 15 and get a little <laughs> advice and, and all this? And we do different things, but I know, I know that you have great advice and, and you did. You basically just said, you know, scale your business, move to New York. And I was like, all right. Um, but I also like remember being like, I'll pay you for your time, invoice me. And you're like, no, like, like it's called a virtual coffee date. And like, that just like all of that really impacted me and affected me in a really positive Aww. way. So I've always been really grateful for you and people like you who you lent me their time and their expertise and really just like compassion. Um, so like here we are. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like a few years later, you're like worked at so many iconic brands and yeah. Yeah. We're just here. Um, but yeah, how did you really like start your journey in the beauty industry? Man, I, um, I've always been a writer. Um, writing, I joke and say that like, it's the only thing I've ever been good at. Um, which is of course not true, but I, uh, you know, I, I've, I guess I've never even felt very smart. Uh, but writing was the one thing that people were always like, this is what you do. Like, this is what you're good at. Keep doing that. And I was like, all right. Um, Cause I've only ever wanted to be good at something, you know? Um, so I got my degree in PR and journalism and uh, was in Madison at the time. And I started writing for, um, this was like right out of school. I started writing for like uh, a local music blog and it was a, a good place to sort of just work with an editor and make, deadlines and and have most importantly work out in the world because mm-hmm. that's what i tell people like when they ask you the, me the question that you just asked me it's like have work to show whatever it is it doesn't even have to be published online but like when that call comes you have to have something to show so um the music stuff that i did was my way in and i sort of always thought i would be in music um like i i say now that beauty is my first love because it is but I you know I grew up on pop and rap and R&B and just being very obsessed with pop culture which of course plays into what I do right now heavily and um so that's how I got in with music and then um in 2011 I was obsessively reading this site called XO Jane which was this uh women's publication online done by Jane Pratt who was the old uh, who was the EIC of um Jane Magazine and Sassy Magazine before which are two very iconic women's publications. This was her online venture. It had a lot of eyes on it. Uh, they were doing like really uh, disruptive um, stuff in in their respective categories. They really pioneered like women's first person essays, which they really shaped uh, mm-hmm. how how media looks today. Uh, a lot of it can be traced back whether you go on with it or not, because I think that a lot of people see us as a laughing stock and sort of like see us having went down in flames, but that's not true because you have a lot of what you have now because of what XO Absolutely. did. I'm not saying what we did. Oh, I did. I'm just saying what the girls did there um, and the people did there. Um, so that's, it was a really good place to start. And they put out a call for beauty editors and I've always been obsessed with beauty and fragrance and just the, like, I don't know, creating yourself every morning. And I, I, knew a lot about makeup like really discreetly and I was wearing like makeup on the low and I was just like listen like I only had music uh articles to show but I I figured the worst that they could say is no um they read my stuff they liked me a lot they put me on and uh I just remember getting a lot of really positive feedback and getting a lot of clicks and people really liking me and I, I was like shit if I lean into this I think I could make something of this like long term like very like playing the long game and so Mm -hmm. I just like focused on it and tried to do one thing a week then two things a week and then I started getting poached from other publications like Racked RIP which was like this great fashion um, website they let me do beauty there and and Nylon and Elle and then it sort of 
I would spend a lot of time at Allure, um, where Sable, my best friend and co-host, was my editor. And um, more recently, it's been New York Times and Vogue and GQ. And, you know, I've sort of written for everyone at one point or another. Um, so that's how I got my start in editorial. And I guess to answer your question, I just was like, I had things to show and I was ready to do the work and I knew what I was talking about and I could take feedback and make deadlines and, and all of that. Um, but then in like 2016, LVMH reached out to me because of the contact I had there from actually ExoJane. And LVMH, if you don't know, I know you know, but uh, they're a parent company that owns mm-hmm. many brands in beauty, fashion, spirits, lifestyle. I mean, all of them, essentially. Um, one of the big ones. And so it was, it was an opportunity that I would have been silly not to take. They wanted me on a contract basis. And um, it gave me the experience of writing for brands, not only like the LVMH parent company, The Umbrella, but their e-com platform, as well as all of the brands that they own. So I would be writing for like Piaget one day, which is like $35,000 watches or Maker's Mark or SK2, which is, you know, a, a luxury beauty brand. It gave me a lot of experience tailoring my voice to that of other brands and also uh, my voice to that of an e-retail platform that sold all of this to a global luxury customer, which now plays into what I do today, but we'll get to that in a minute. And um, yeah, doing that, I was just like, oh shit, I'm really good at this. And I think like I could do this too. Like I was always so obsessed and in love with editorial, but my God, it is a hustle and a slog. And I have been really blessed to have, have, have had it really good in editorial with my editors yeah. um, and just the process and the work. I, but not everyone has it as, as good as I've had it. Um, but on the brand side, I was like, this is different. It's, it's more challenging to me in a way because it was new. And I, there was a lot of jumping around, like some days I'd be writing web copies, some days, days I'd be doing like uh, in-store graphics or like copy for in-store graphics. I was doing forwards for coffee table books. I was doing brochures. I was doing catalogs. Um, so it was a lot of different touch points and all of that. It just gave me a lot of experience very fast. Um, mm-hmm. And it was also to be... I'll give that a second. I don't know. Um, well, you know, it was, it was my first time working with like brand money. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like... Um, and like people are always like, you should talk about money until you do, and then you're talking for doing so. But it's like, oh, like this is. I mean, the reality of the situation is that editorial yeah. is a bloodbath, and it's a bloodbath because yeah. like the model is messed up thanks to right. our good friends at Facebook. Like, there's right. just it's just such a like deeply embedded problem, and it's like so sad to watch. Like you were talking about, like all these websites that were like the ones that set the tone for what the internet kind of like is and internet editorial is. And it's like Mm -hmm. so clear now, like looking back that they were like that perfect middle ground between like Mm -hmm. journalism and like personal essays and like blogging culture. And like, I don't know if like the traditional publishers have unlocked that and been able to do that. Is there space for that? But anyways, as you were saying, like brand money is very different than publishing. Very different. Very different. And I only talk about money because no one does. And also no one tells you how to freelance. No one gives you any of these tips. And had I heard any of the things that I'm saying, and I, I know I talk like I know it all. And I think I know it all. I don't, but like, had anyone told me the things that I'm saying to you now, hopefully like one person here, this would be like, Oh, like that's going to change how I think about this or change the way I apply. Um, 
because like it's also secretive because like once someone has a contact they want to keep that once someone has a check they don't want anyone else to get it and i get that too but anyway digress um so that was really great lvmh taught me a whole lot and did that for about two and a half years and then i was like you know that like i said 2018 2019 happened and i was just like i think this is i think I, I just felt like I was ready for the next step. So I knew I wanted to go full-time in beauty. I, I frankly didn't know if I was equipped, but I was like, I, if I don't really give this a try, I'm going to regret it. So I started applying around at the beginning of the year. Um, I applied at Becca Cosmetics, which was owned by Estee Lauder, and pretty quickly got an interview. Um, I flew out here for it. I knew I nailed it. I knew they liked me a lot. I knew I had it. Um, I flew out here again for interview number two. Um, and then, and this is all pretty rapid succession. And then like two weeks later, I flew out here for an interview mm-hmm. with the CEO. Um, and I just felt like I had it in the bag. Uh, and it took them forever to make me the offer. <laughs> um, but, I, but I got the job. And to be frank, I lied to my parents about this. I told them that I was being flown out, um, but I wasn't. I, was, I did this all on my own dime. And that's very stupid. Don't ever do that. But I knew that this was the opportunity to take. And if I did, it would change my life. You know what I mean? Like, or I could change my life by doing this rather. Yeah. Um, and I was working also all this time I was freelancing. I was working in a bar uh, four or five nights a week and uh, making service money, making bar money, which is ton of hard, cold, hard cash. You know? So I had all this money in my account and I wasn't fucking doing anything, anything with it. And I, but I was saving it because I knew that when the call came, I had to be ready to just move myself. You know what I mean? And I, it, it was stupid in hindsight, but like it got me here and I don't regret it. So I, mean, um, I don't think it's stupid. I think it's an investment in yourself. And I it think- is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people have fear and anxiety about money and like something that sort of always helps me de-escalate it is that like the money is a tool right? and like right, it's a right. tool to like achieve goals and like pouring money back into myself or my business is never going to like not pay dividends in some way, whether it's like mm-hmm. investing in more help or like doing what you did, like obviously yeah. not the most financially wise decision, but if you're set up for it, like do it, like take the yeah. step. Exactly. And I kept saying to myself, like, what am I fucking working all these nights for? Exactly. Like, saving, saving all this money if I'm not going to take the opportunity to change my life when it comes. So I think I like still want like a little bit of guilt about it. But anyway, clearly. Um, so I took the job at Becca. And um, if you don't, I know you know, but if the listener doesn't, Becca um, was, I wouldn't say a legacy brand, but they had, they had been around, but they were sort of like one of the older new girls. Mm-hmm. You know, they were for... Um, a younger demographic, but they had been in Sephora. They had been around. We had the uh, globally the number one selling highlighter um, for, for just every year, bar none, period, and far and away, um, which is cool. So we had we had we we're very very established. Um, so it's really cool to walk into a brand like that. And you know, uh, Becca really made me a copywriter. It taught me a lot and it taught me very fast um it also gave me the opportunity so when they had hired me um they had never had a copywriter before so i was their first wow. and only so one they sort of like didn't know what to do with me there was no process which taught me a lot about like why you need processes um and it but it also sort of gave me the opportunity to say like i don't think the way that we're approaching 
carton copy is, right? Like the way that um, when you buy a product and it's in a box, like that's the carton. I don't think the way that we're, um, you know, tailoring our copy to the touchpoint is right. I, I don't think we're selling the product um, in the way that we should. So it gave me a lot of uh, chances to sort of, you know, use my voice and, and because they also knew I was a consumer. I am obsessed with beauty. I'm, you know, I'm in these Sephora's, you know, I'm on these product pages. So uh, I had a lot of trust um, and they knew that I knew what I was talking about. Um, it was, it, it, on the flip side, it taught me a lot about um, work environments and, uh, you know, it really made me the copywriter I am today, but it sort of all came at a cost. Um, mm-hmm. It taught me uh, how important um, an environment is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was really great. I love beauty. It was really exciting to step into that role and sort of like it was the dream job and it sort of still is, quite frankly. And I met some of my best friends in New York by doing it. And it's just like really changed my life in a really exciting way. And it sort of really made me feel like, listen, I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone and I never really have, but I really did need to prove that to myself that I could like get the job, move to New York, but then do it. You know, you can get mm-hmm. us any job you want. You can get any job offer you want, but then you have to actually do it and not get fired. And <laughs> I, I did feel for a long time, like everything I had was writing and not fucking this up. So I can't. You know, and it's like, I moved, I love to party. I love to go out. I was in a bar for 10 years, but like I moved to New York and like my life changed. I like mm-hmm. wasn't going out on weeknights. Um, I was really behaving myself because I was like, it all rides on this. Uh, so it took me a long time to loosen up and I'm still very tightly wound. So um, yeah, so that's how I got here. And then um, almost two years into Becca, I, uh, it just came time to look for other opportunities um, for all the same reasons that it always does. and. I, when I moved to New York, I was doing a lot of like boutique fitness in Madison. And I was like, if I try to do all the same shit in New York, I'm going to go broke. So let me just get this Equinox membership. They have everything I want, um, mm-hmm. everything I'm already doing. It's also in my backyard, literally. So I know it's an arm and a leg, but it's also like, it's what I'm paying now. It's less I'm going to pay if I try to emulate my experience in Madison in New York. Um, and I'll actually go. And all those things were true. I did. Come and I found out two years later, Equinox was looking for a copywriter. And I was trying to go directly into beauty again, but um, I was like, fuck it. I know the brand. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Well, they wanted to interview me. It all went really well. Everyone seemed really cool. Um, they made me the offer. It was great. And then I took the job being like, I'll do this for a year. I'll probably hate it. It'll probably be a boys club, whatever. And then I'll look for something else. And turns out it was truly like the best deci- decision I've made to this point. And not like, not to send for my employer because that's embarrassing, but like, um, <laughs> Again, in the way that Becca taught me um, about bad environments, Equinox has taught me about great environments. Like, I, I love my team deeply. I feel I, I work with a bunch of designers, um, another copywriter who I love. Um, we're very collaborative. Um, everyone's very collaborative. And I report directly to the creative director, who's great. Uh, I know what it's like now to be trusted by a boss um, and be challenged and uplifted and to really be like handed the ball. And, and it has, um, made me in the way that Becca like made me a copywriter. Equinox has made me a better copywriter because like Becca taught mm-hmm. me how to do it and work fast and 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 tailor the copy to ten different touch points. Um, but then Equinox taught me how to sort of like do it myself and take the lead and um, really um, assert my opinion. Like I had a uh, I've I've had bosses that would say like you need to speak up or you need to assert your opinion, which is a great to hear if the mm-hmm. caveat is not 
to everyone but me. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like now, now it's like, I don't know, we just have it really good. And again, Equinox isn't forever, but it's for now. And I want to stay around. I, I just walked away from an anyway. Um, yeah, I really, really like where I'm at. And it taught me also like the, the right job or the dream job may not be what you think that it looks like going into it, but like, trust your gut, trust yourself. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah. like, the, and I still think of what I do in Eddie Knox is, is very beauty, very beauty centric and, and all of that. Um, and, and it's luxury too. So having what's very luxury and we don't talk like a gym at all. All the things that you think you would say to sell a gym membership, we don't say it. We don't even say gym. So having all this experience at LVMH Absolutely. five, six years back really was, had prepped me to do what I do now, you know, to talk like a luxury brand um, to the luxury customer. But like, what do you say? How do you sell something to someone when money is not an object, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's different, but yeah, I love it. It's very exciting. And I do um, a ton of freelance on the side. I do a ton of freelance editorial for all the aforementioned publications. I'm working with three brands right now on copy and consulting. Um, and that's just, it's resume building and it's, it's, money in the pocket, but it's also, I don't do anything that I don't want to do, um, which is a huge privilege. I, I will admit that all of this is a huge privilege, but, um, I do it cause I love it. You know, I love beauty. I love fragrance and this is what I've always wanted to do. To do. So I'm not going to say no to an opportunity when it comes my way because I'm tired. Like what do I need to do? Go to another bar. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm working on, I'm, wor- I'm working on balance and I'm working on like having a personal life and, and taking a breath, but, um, yeah, I'm doing a lot, but I love it all. So. Sorry, I feel like yeah. I'm talking about myself so much. No, I think you have such like an interesting sort of like varied experience. And I feel like you've seen so many like different industries change, whether yeah. it's luxury or yeah. beauty or wellness. And I think mm-hmm. like so much of that has become this like Venn diagram that's a circle. Like there yeah. was like no makeup, makeup, and then skincare mm-hmm. meets makeup. And now it's yep. like all one like weird industry. And then like, you know, who is wellness for? Like who is luxury for? Like yeah. What does it even mean? Like, where have you sort of like riding this wave the last really like 10 years, like seen these industries change? Where do you like think they're going? Like, is there anything you hate? What are you looking forward to? Like, what gets you like fired up to like come home from a nine yeah. to five and do a five to nine, like consulting for brands? Yeah, totally. Um, I think having spent so long on the outside and covering other people's brands and, uh, you know, trying to contextualize them. And, and I'm always like sort of asking, like, listen, I love a product review. I just love a down and gritty, gritty product review. That's just like par for the course. Like this is what it is, whatever. That's great. I love a roundup. I do want to know the 10 best concealers for on dry circles. You know what I mean? Like love all that shit. But I, I guess I've always also been, um, interested in like the why, like the bigger picture, like why are we doing this? Like, like, why is this a trend? Or why are we calling it this? Or why are we, you know, contouring our faces in this way? Or, and not from a beauty perspective, but like, what the fuck are we all doing? You know what I mean? Or like, what does this mean? Which is funny, because anytime someone asks me that, I'm like, don't, don't ask me questions. Like, don't ask me why I'm in nails. It's none of your fucking business. But um, I love beauty and I love like the psychology of it. So I think being on the other side of it now and um, being part of making it happen is just really exciting to me. That's what keeps it fresh and interesting to me. Um, I think from a copy perspective, 
yeah. telling, telling a story and like giving a product a life and a voice uh, is really like beautiful to me. Um, and also making a product make sense to a consumer is also a huge opportunity because like when I, I am a consumer, so like I, I think I understand the way that they should be talked to, you know, when you're in a, a marketing you're in a meeting, room and, and you when don't, I'm in a, yeah. don't talk to people or like leave your laptop, like how are you supposed to market to them if you won't go to Sephora? <sighs> Well, exactly. When you've been using the same, you know, Laura Mercier tinted moisturizer and setting powder for 20 years, how do you know how to speak to someone who's looking for those products, but looking for them today? Or when all you look at are marketing briefs and you want to have all these buzzwords for SEO and, um, you know, make Sephora happy, but also make uh, product development happy and creative. It's like, you end up with something with a product page that doesn't make any goddamn sense. So it's like being the person who has to sort of synthesize that and one, make all the same people happy and to, you know, get your paycheck, but also sell it to the consumer. Cause if what we're trying to do is sell a product. It's gotta be understandable. Um, but I guess that's what keeps me going and excited. But uh, to your other question, like seeing it all change. I mean, it, it has been really gratifying to and exciting to see the slow but steady change um i mean happening across all industries in tandem but we're talking beauty specifically of course uh when i started in like 2011 beauty was of course very white very cis female um very skinny very of a certain age everything looked the same and Mm -hmm. from from you know campaigns and visuals to shade ranges and you know inclusivity is a lot more nuanced than you know a marketing team would like to think it is um, but I think that we are getting there I mean of course it start I don't I mean I don't know where it starts but of course the conversation started at shade range rightfully so um, I mean, anyone should be able to walk up to a gondola or go to a website and find their shade and feel seen and included and be able to like take part in that conversation and, and feel beautiful. Um, but it also extends to gender and age and body type and, you know, Absolutely. just like the skin type and the way you look and um, uh, different forms of, you know, able bodies and everything. So, and, and we are, and we are getting there and it's like, I, I don't think it's happening perfectly. I don't think it can happen perfectly. Um, but, you know, I think we are, every time someone fucks up, we all learn from it. We're all learning in real time. So I think that's good. I mean, coming into beauty as a guy, I mean, my sh- my shtick was never like, I'm a guy in beauty. I was, I, because like, who cares? Uh, yeah. But I, I did feel like an outsider and I've always felt like an outsider being like, a little queer person growing up in the Midwest. It's like, I was always tiptoeing around trying like not to be seen, but be myself, I guess. Um, so I guess I was always sort of like interrogating beauty from that lens of like, um, why is everyone already here? You know? Yeah. Or like, who is this serving and why? And like, why is the black dollar not valuable to you? Shiseido or like, what are we, you know, um, and not to say I invented inclusivity. I absolutely did not. I mean, but it was just having, having been in it for this long, I do remember being like, oh, that's so weird. that like, they only have white shades. They're not even trying to fake it. Um, and now, you know, everyone that like, like 
shade ranges, table stakes. So that's been gratifying to see. Um, also, like, as you know, like inclusivity starts from the inside out. So it's not just what you're offering and how your campaigns look. It's, it's who's creating the products. It's who's on the inside. It's who is um, from, I mean, every product development team should be diverse, as diverse as it can be. Because like Absolutely. you you can tell when someone's PD team is all white people. I mean, the products speak for themselves. Um, but it's also people in marketing, um, you know, people in creative, people who are signing the checks and okaying everything. You know, it's it's got a... And for all different reasons, it's not just like, so we can have a larger shade range, but have like queer voices in a room and, um, you know, women and people of yeah. color and people of all ages. Like, you know, you know I, don't, I don't have to like go down the checklist, but um, you can tell when a, a room of straight people made a pride campaign, you know? I mean, that's the thing. Like so many people, I think, especially in the last few years think that like, okay, like, we checked the boxes, like mm-hmm. we cast for this or we cast for that. And it's like, yeah. okay, you're putting these people in this campaign. How are you treating the people who look like that or are like that in your organization? Yeah. Like, are you listening to them? Are you empowering them? Like, you can't just like give someone a seat at the table and then they're, you're like, okay, sit there and don't yeah. speak. And right. I think so many people do that. And, you know, a few weeks ago when my friends was talking about this term, like elite capture, when like, popular sort of radical ideas get co-opted by like the elite and they see it as Mm. like a way to make more money. And it's like, how do you sort of like dance that line of like, obviously like brands are very powerful forces in the world. People trust brands more than they trust our government. Like what, to what degree can like brands really be the people pushing the conversation forward? Obviously they've shaved so many of us and our perceptions about ourselves, I think especially mm. millennials, yeah. like so many of us like look back and we're like, no wonder I was like not well in the early 2000s. Like <laughs> yeah, look at totally. People Magazine and like look at size ranges and shade ranges. But like what responsibility do you think like brands have to, you know, incorporate purpose, like be sustainable and meet sort of, you know, those table stake boxes or are they just doing it performatively? That's a really interesting question. And it's something that I think about all the time. Um, I think, number one, people need to realize that these brands aren't your fucking friends. You know, like, let's start there. You can like whatever brand you want. I love a ton of brands. But, like, I know that they don't give a shit about me farther than, like, what I'm running my card for. for 100%. Their you know, and, like, and that's fine. It's not, like, I don't, I know, like, being in all these meetings and it's like Gen Z really wants um, a philanthropic aspect to their brand. So we have to have, you know, we have to give back and like, great. Every brand should be giving back, of course. But like, I don't want, I'm not looking for my brands to like um, have a huge stake in like mental health or uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I'm looking to buy a fucking blush, you know? Um, and maybe that's me being almost 35 and I, I, I don't know what it is, but I've never like, it, it is great when, you know, the people, like the people and the brands with the money are making meaningful movements in whatever philanthropic never they're, they're in, um, yeah. of course. But it's also like that too is marketing. I'm sorry to say it, but like, 
that too is a way to get you to the rare beauty gondola over the benefit gondola. Do you know? Like, let's Absolutely. call it what it is. Um, which, like, okay, it's fine if if um, if they're giving money to a, a worthwhile cause, then I guess great. But it's also, but then it's like, let's talk about tax write-offs. Like, who is this benefiting? Um, anyway, I just want to like put that out there that it's like, yes, the philanthropic aspects are very important, but these brands don't care about you, babe. Um, so that's that. Um, when it comes to sustainability, it's like, I'm so sick of hearing about it um, because there is no such thing as a sustainable, sustainable brand. I'm sorry to say it, but it's like, if you are creating product, you are adding to the problem. I don't care if it's, I don't care how recyclable, I don't care if your materials are recycled, recycled, post-consumer plastics, it's all great. And I think if you are putting product out, you have little to no excuse to not be using that, um, mm-hmm. those materials, even though I know it's harder and I know it's more expensive, but it's like, then don't start a brand. Um, but starting a brand of any sort is inherently not sustainable. So don't talk to me about um, your sustainability, you know, um, practices when you're adding to the problem when you're actively choosing to add to the problem um there are two brands that i can name that like i do think set the standard one is a beauty brand called axiology uh they do color and they are um i don't want to say packaging free but they are um completely plastic free they're like face crayons that you can you can use on your eyes lips and face they're wrapped in paper i like them a lot um, i use them for blush all the time uh, they're not a perfect product, but like, they're great. And it's like, okay, there's essentially no waste here when you buy and use up the product. Yeah. But that also doesn't take into account the energy it takes to, to make the product, you know, in the, in the factories uh, or to ship the product, um, shout out to fossil fuels. So it's <laughs> like, even that, like they're doing their best. And I think like, if you're going to do it, do it like axiology. Um, there's also fuck, um, air, common air. They do uh, right now face serums and little ampules and their uh, carton is um, made of paper. So and the ampules um, dissolve in water. So it's like, again, there's ostensibly no waste, I guess, uh, not taking into account all, all the other stuff. So if you're going to do it, do it like them. But if you're going to put out product in a plastic component, then just like don't talk about sustainability at all. Um, I think we are starting to, maybe I'm wrong, but I think we're starting to get to a place with sustainability in, in the same way that we got to a place with clean where people know it doesn't mean anything and it's all marketing and by and large things have always been clean. So I hope that we get smarter about the way that we um, talk about sustainability as well, because that too is marketing. Um, it's all marketing. Like <laughs> these brands will say anything to get you to take their product over someone else's. You know what I mean? Um, so yes, I and I'm glad. I'm glad people are thinking about sustainability, um, but it's. I, I think it's a little tired. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, do it for the right reasons, but there's always going to be the tension of like the fact that like if we really like want to save the planet like if you wanted to save the planet the last thing you would do is start a beauty brand because just the amount of waste beauty generates between like the component the little Mm -hmm. outside box like shipping Mm -hmm. whatever like people just don't understand that like whenever I work with beauty brands I'm like we're not going to say that we can have some sustainability claims that we do the best we can but like you're not doing this for sustainability. Right. You're doing this to like 
make money. And like the sad thing is, is that like capitalism is not going to save us. Like no. degrowth in some way, shape, or form, and creating less stuff will. Yeah. But I don't think the world is ready for that conversation. Like. No. And even like, you know, there's activist brands like Patagonia. Like I think they're probably one of the best examples where they genuinely encourage you to like buy less, wear it longer, we'll fix it for you. But like, that's not a sustainable strategy for like every single brand. And they have so much history that they're able to like have the luxury of like, yeah, send us the shorts back, man. Like we'll stitch them up for you. Right, right. And listen, I'm not hating on anyone for buying a lipstick. You know what I mean? I love all this shit too. I get really excited about new product launches. I'm excited about it all. I, I am a consumer first and foremost. And, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think obviously the onus should be on the consumer. I think we should all be doing the best we can, but it's like, it's a large conversation from brands, government level, all of that. So I no mean, shame to like anyone who said, wants to go to Sephora. Yeah. All of our systems are like entrenched. You can have like the most perfectly sustainable product and then you hand it to UPS and it's up to like <laughs> UPS's like sustainability commitments from there. Like yeah. there is no like fully closed loop that you control unless you're like Amazon trying to like do everything yourself, which is another horrible conversation <laughs> for another yeah. day. Yeah, but I'm then simply you're Amazon. not getting into. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But on a more fun front, before we get too far down the like, our planet is burning rabbit hole, like, yes. let's talk about celebrity brands. Like, what the hell is going on there? Like, should, there, should they exist? Because like some of these that are coming out, like you can tell who started product development in 2019 and then the world mm -hmm. shut down. Yep. And now all these like tired lines with like three-year-old ethos are coming out. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you yep. think celebrities should start brands? I think it's I think it's just the world we're living in right now. I, I and not to have such a like I don't know lame answer, but it's like it's it's just where we are, and I don't think any one of us can stop it. I do think the like the whole <sighs> bitching about celebrity brands thing is sort of like old men yelling at cloud because it's like what who like who cares, dude? If you don't like the brand, then don't buy the product, like. Okay, like that's that's it. I mean, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, this celebrity brand bubble is going to burst. It is clearly oversaturated. Um, just like the you know YouTube beauty influencer bubble of 2015 burst. <laughs> I, and I mean, like the really good ones rose to the top and are still around. Most of them have started brands of their own and completely completely left YouTube, but like the, the ones that were doing it right and doing it well are still around. And just like the celebrity brands of today, uh, the good ones will be around in five, 10 years, most likely a lot of them won't be. Um, I, mean, I, you can I guess just tell who cares and who's doing it for like cash. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, it's all the same shit from the same factories. It's like, we will be buying the same products, whether they're from a celebrity brand or not. It's just like, it is so hard to launch a beauty brand or any brand, but especially a beauty brand right now. And it's like, if you don't have talent attached to your brand, you're not going to break through the noise at all. I mean, like I challenge anyone to name a brand and that has launched in the last year that has not had a celebrity face attached to it. Um, don't take that too literally, but literally, because like, I know you can, but you know what I mean? Like, we're talking so much more about like, what? About Face, Rare mm -hmm. Beauty, Fenty, R.E.M., uh, Road, 
the fucking whatever Scarlett Johansson is called, like all all of that, like that's what sells um, both magazines and product. Um, so it's like, but that goes back to like celebrity culture and America. Like you said about the tabloids and it's like um, people, the same people bitching about tabloids are the ones buying and reading them. So it's like, yeah, people like celebrity brands um, won't stop coming because we have always been obsessed with celebrity. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so it's like, don't blame, blame these celebrities for like wanting to catch a check. Like blame yourself. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, that's, it's just like, I don't understand where like the question is. Like, of course these celebrities are um, starting their own brands because like, that's the only thing that people want to talk about. Like you look at any publication, all um, people are, are writing about is celebrities because we, our culture is obsessed with fame. And, you know, the building it up and the tearing it down and the rebuilding of it. And, um, yeah, it's just like, it's not, it doesn't seem like an anomaly to me. Like, no, I don't think like, um, like I, I see the problem. I see the question, but it's like, uh, I guess I'm more interested in what celebrities are allowed to enter beauty and which ones are like, um, you know, hated on for doing so. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, you take Rihanna, of course. She's allowed to do anything she wants. Um, and, but like, everyone wants to be Rihanna. So, like, that's why Fenty works. And also, like, Rihanna had had that really successful um, collaboration with Mac and, you know, that did like Gangbuster. So, like, that was a proof of concept right there. Like, why would you not want do that? Yeah. to start your own beauty brand? And, um, but then, you know, it's like, I don't know. It, and you can sort of, see it coming from a mile away when like why you know when harry styles did pleasing which was a shitty launch like that made no sense like it was like a couple nail nail colors which were nasty um the components the components were beautiful i will forgive him that all day long but it's like then a bunch of like white label skincare thrown into thrown in there as well that made not a lot of sense, didn't look luxury, didn't look even good. Um, And it's all anyone could talk about. It's all people wanted to put on Instagram and it's all the beauty girls wanted to obsess over for a week because it's Harry Styles. But then, you know, it's like- I mean, I haven't heard anything since. Like, Well, exactly, exactly. But then then like, not not to, you know, I feel about Ariana, but but it's like Ariana comes out with a beauty brand and it's like, people love to talk shit about that. And it's like, okay, they explained to me like the the difference there. Um, I don't, and I'm, I'm not saying one is, more um prep to do a beauty brand than the other but it's like none of these people are chemists so like it's either all of them or none of them you know what i mean like you can't have harry styles without having halsey you know or like why why did scarlett johansson release the outset and people were like no more celebrity brands all this plastic too much but then Hailey bieber releases road and you couldn't get away from it like it's the amount of content that all of these publications put out around road. Um, I'm like, before it was, it was even a thing too. Like yeah. that has been like a two year launch. Like I just feel like she's been quote unquote teasing it and whatever. Yeah. And like, she seemingly has more of an authentic connection to skincare than sound, but it's just like such a fine line. Like, of course these people are paid to be beautiful and hot, like, and you want to be them. Yeah. And it's like, good for her. Good for them. I get it. I think the road launch was really smart. Um, I think the 
the collection's tight. I think the price point is perfect. I mean, I think she's doing everything right, but it's like, then why not? Then why are we not applauding Scarlett Johansson? Why are we not applauding? Um, I, I don't know. It's just like, no one wants to have a conversation about like, well, it's okay because it's okay when Haley does it because we like her, but like, we love to talk shit about Scarlett. So like, no, she can't be here. It's like, ugh, worried about the wrong thing, dude. Um, it, it's I mean, like, I, it's just the world we're living in. And like, I just don't even think it's worth talking about, you know? I, don't know? I mean, that's the thing. I think it's like this perfect storm of like, I hate to say it, like attention economy and mm-hmm. what like sells. Like, mm-hmm. I think people like are over that like licensing model and like yep. America, like, loves this like girl boss adjacent multi-hyphenate career like story thing and yeah. i think there's like so much romance in being an entrepreneur but like Haley bieber's probably showing up to a few events like trying a couple of lab samples she's not like balancing the books and like spiraling yeah. over like what like customer service automation should be on this shopify like right it's easy right. when you have the money to like hire 10 people to do that like investors a built-in audience like it's something that like new brands can't even compete with no exactly and exactly it's like the it's silly to launch a brand without a celebrity face because you just get their built-in audience their access their network and yeah it's like i feel bad for these new brand new beauty brands who are just launching as brands because they're getting buried and yeah i mean it's not perfect system by any means but it's like I, I, I don't know it's just like if you don't care then don't engage you know and I guess that not 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 that I give a shit about Haley Bieber I don't but I, I know from a lot of people I know who have been involved that it's like she did she worked with the right people she consulted with the right people the people she consulted she treated very well she put them on and so it's like it, it's cool to see her like you, you said she's been prepping it for a long time and mm-hmm. that's been gotten closer to the launch you, you've sort of seen um how it came together and even the people who consulted though they might not not be front and center it's like oh like you know she did you she did she did good by the people she worked with which is cool it's like if you do have all this power and access then yeah you better be good to like the people you work with so i don't know 100%. um it's all people want to ask me about and and i and i do get it but it's like if you don't like it like no one's forcing you to buy a rare beauty but then again like when you go into sephora and all you see are celebrity brands and then what you know i guess i guess it can feel that way um i don't know i from a from being obsessed with like brands from a conceptual point i do think it's interesting how each one looks different how they look bad and good the house mm-hmm. labs of it all um though that like the fact that lady gaga can fuck up makeup twice um is that's like itself. amazing to me because she's like someone who had like she like blew her head start the way Skype blew their head start to Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah completely. Like I um, think of her and I think beauty because like she's so crazy and experimental and amazing, and it's yeah. just sad to watch that. But yeah, oh, well, and and she and she, I know they're very different, but she like Rihanna is a chameleon. Mm-hmm. There is no one Rihanna look. There is no one Lady Gaga look. They can be anyone, and they can be it perfectly. And you want that. And Rihanna did that with Fenty Beauty. Lady Gaga did not do that with House Labs twice. Um, I feel like I'm like not being coherent, but uh, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, um, it's an interesting and evolving conversation. And I am excited to see where we are in five years with it. Yeah. I mean, similarly, how much of it do you think is just like 
I think, you know, we could have like a whole hour long conversation about Glossier and it wouldn't be enough. And like Emily mm. Weiss and, you know, she has her failings as a leader and a CEO and how she treated people. But like, she kind of like mandated, mandated the aesthetic of a generation. And I feel oh, like completely. so many people have tried to chase that to be like mm-hmm. the next Glossier of like, let's have like mm-hmm. the chic three-step system. Like even Road is just like yeah. celebrity yeah. Glossier. Like yep. no one has been able to like crack that model since her. And like, how much of it do you think is just like people trying to chase that success, whether it's like launching as a brand, launching as a celebrity? Chase the Glossier success? Yeah. Or the, the idea? You, listen, like there are no new ideas. And working, being, in, being a creative and working with a lot of creative teams and creative people, uh, there is... Oh, quite a lot of referencing going on here mm-hmm. um, and people aren't as sly as I think they are and it's like you know when you're talking to someone's idea and if you don't <laughs> someone else is going to and it's it's my job to tell you like this looks like that or you can't do that because you're lifting their you know concept verbatim um yeah I, I think that we have just started to see people actually breaking themselves away from the Glossier aesthetic. Um, I mean, it obviously worked really well for Glossier, and I, I do think it changed not only the look of the beauty industry, but the look of D2C completely. 100%. Um, if, if you look at, I mean, you can name 10 brands right now. If you look at Hims and Hers, um, if you look at basically any brand with a one-syllable name, like and the super clean aesthetic, like you said, um, neutrals, um, I think we're seeing the dregs of that and maybe the next gen of that with brands like say our summer Fridays when they are very minimal, but there is more of a lifestyle and a look and a personality and a soul to them. That's not just like millennial pink. It's not just Mm -hmm. like post Terry Richardson, but like pre whatever the fuck we're doing now. Um, And but but I, I look at say and I do think like oh you studied Glossier didn't you, um, so yeah I mean I think that's just the oh, thing like you're the first yeah. person to do something you're also going to be like the first person to like mess up and everyone yeah. is going to look at your playbook and they're going to be like okay well Glossier screwed this up they never went into retail they tried to keep yep. it D2C and also maybe build a social network like let's not yep. do that but like even then like that was a perceived failure and like today I saw some like weird marketing white paper that was like all brands should build their own social networks and I was like please don't like I don't want to be I don't want to be in an Instagram for jeans (laughs) no no exactly yeah I mean people will always look at Glossier as like this like the start of something and the change of something um I mean as they should and like you said it wasn't perfect but like every beast that gets that large eventually eats itself you know and i think people love to like obsess over or like zoom in on the failings of, and this is not a defensive glossier by any means but i think that people love to look at the, the the failings of glossier and sort of blow them up into like um i don't know like a nasty gal situation and from what i know it wasn't and yeah. when you have when you have a company as big as glossier like yes like there will be bad seeds and there will be things that are mismanaged and fucked up. But like, um, I don't know, personally, it's sort of, I don't know, whatever. I think, but I think to what you're saying, like 
there have been so many of these like girl boss takedowns the last yep, few years. Yep, and yep. like, why is the WeWork guy like getting to be free and like get zillions of dollars in funding? Like he just did some Web3 thing and he's getting funding for it. Like yeah. several millions of dollars. And then like, you know, other people have to step down from their companies. Like it feels like, you know, the last sort of iteration of like popular representational politics in this country was like, you know, what we were talking about earlier, like you just put someone like that in a room and magically everything's okay. But like, you're putting so much pressure on these female leaders to be like, perfect. Like you think you just put a female leader at the top and it's going to fix everything. But like people have their own biases, they have their own issues. No one's really ever taught how to manage people. And like being in a high growth, like high stakes startup is so different. And that's not an excuse for what was going on there, but it's also like, come on, like, let's think about how many poorly behaved, like male leaders like are still working and how many of, and how many of them are the subject of New York times profiles? Exactly. Exactly. And like, I don't know. I mean, I know that Emily Weiss, uh, like, I don't know if, it's just one of those things that's like, why are you worshiping the owner of a company? They're a boss. Mm-hmm. It's like worshiping a cop. You know what I mean? Like, they're not supposed to be your friend. They're supposed to tell you blush. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's this weird, like, we're obsessing over someone else's takedown because it's not our own. Um, it's like, yeah, of course things went wrong at Gloss State. What the fuck did you expect? But, like, they're still doing just fine. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I mean, it's like there are very few CEOs that can take a company from like a hundred, like that can bring a company to a hundred million dollars in revenue and also get it a billion dollar valuation. Like those are two very hard things to do. And I think like just the last few years, like whatever is going to correct course correct in like startups and there will be a lot of carnage is the fact that like, I think people have forgotten like how much a billion dollars really is because there's like a quote unquote billion dollar startup every other day. And then you dig into the numbers and it's like, how is this like, you are hemorrhaging money. You haven't ever made a dollar. <laughs> like, how are you yeah. a billion dollar business? Right, right. Yeah, and I think um, I look, I don't want to go too far down this road because it's not my area of expertise, uh, but like I do look at startups that are founded um, by, that doesn't even matter, like young people, just startups that are, you know, new startups. And um, it seems that they are so much more about their, their press than they are their product. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they're about the Forbes lists and all of that. And like you said, it's like, you haven't made a dollar yet. I'm not sure what we're celebrating. I don't know. I'm just, I, I've always been taught to like move in silence and let your work speak for itself, you know? So I was like, I, I, I'll read about you, but I don't want you sharing your own article, you know? Um, it's like, don't suck. I mean, head. I think people like the story more than they like what actually like brought you know the cloud paint to your door right they like the idea of the girl who was like the intern and then had a blog Mm -hmm. and then like started a startup more than they realized that like it's like 30 people that got that blush to your doorstep right that's not sexy and it's just individualistic like american culture i think at the end of it right and you know it is and you know the the whole starting as an intern and and being a CEO, like that is a success story. That's nothing to scoff at. You know, I can't say I blame these people, but it's just sort of like the interrogating, like, what is the business about? Is it about the product or is it about you? I don't know. Yeah. So I guess with that, you know, what is like your piece of advice to brands, like how they can 
use culture and really get it right and like set like a good tone for their brand and do it fairly and equitably, like do the most good that they can? Oof, man, I don't even know that I'm equipped to answer that question. I think there's a lot more at play when building a brand than people realize. And it's different for every brand because every brand's model is different. Um, but when a brand is building itself, you know, and, and I'm thinking about beauty specifically, you know, they'll, they'll launch with a usually tight collection and then build it out more every month, um, some every week, some every season. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that goes into that that people may not realize. And by that, I mean, you're, you could be getting pressure from investors to put out this kind of product because of X, Y, and Z. Um, the brand could be trying to respond to trends to stay relevant with a very little budget on the back end, which could, if you put all of your capital into one product uh, because it's on trend and it flops, then you're done. You know? Absolutely. Um, they, uh, beauty incubator culture, which I think is really great. Um, essentially everything happening from concept to production um, to getting it to market happening under one roof. Um, you could sort of be getting your collection more or less from them and them saying like, okay, you took these four products. These are going to be great. But like your collection really isn't a collection without this, even Mm -hmm. if you don't want it, they could sort of try to sell you on it um, or say like, well, you took these four from us. You really should take this one. You know, it's like, there's a lot going on. Um, So I think, and I have compassion for all that and brand owners that are are trying to balance all that because I know it's not easy, but I think, ask yourself like what is your vision what did you get in here to do because there is so much noise and so many people telling you different things and and putting you pulling you in all these different directions and i'm not a brand owner nor am i starting a brand so i'm not trying to speak for anyone else but with everyone i work with um i just think it's really important to like keep your original vision and the end game in sight you know to balance both of those things and not that either of those things can't change but you look at brands um, that are new with a collection that doesn't make any goddamn sense. And it's like, as a consumer, I don't know where to start. I don't know where the story is. Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 I don't know. Not that I need the story, but I do need to understand what I'm seeing. Um, so I think it, just always keeping uh, your vision really tight. And maybe that means moving slower. Maybe it means releasing less or smaller collections or this or that. But um, keeping a lot of the noise out and figuring out how to build your brand and your community so it's not reliant on product drops because you you can't, there will never be enough products and there will never be enough releases to keep you relevant in a beauty industry that thrives and dies on relevancy. You know, 100%. you have to have your own identity and your own reason for being and things that like keep the steam going or what the fuck ever, um, you know, on off weeks and off months. And, you know, when a launch gets pushed because of testing or when the images aren't done or your talent hasn't approved things, just shit happens. Um, so like it can't be reliant on your products alone. Um, yeah, I guess like that's the first Just thing that comes to mind. remember why you started. Remember why you started. And also, yeah, I mean, um, I think it's also building a team, like we said earlier, 
with people who don't look like you, with people uh, that have different experiences than you. Um, as a writer, I'll often turn in drafts and it'll, you know, most of the time, hopefully be all positive feedback with edits. Of course, I'm a writer. It's my job to get edited. Um, but there, there will be a lot of times people be like, oh, let's not use this word. Cause like, this makes me think of that. Or like, don't you think this sounds a little bit like that? And it's like, fuck, like, I mean, I don't, cause that's not my experience, but you're right. You know, like, had you not flagged that, I wouldn't have thought of it. And then god forbid i made it to market you know and not yeah. all of it's like not all of it's make or break but like that poor person at Alta who wrote that kate spade headline in that email you know what i mean that was brutal that was a brutal and, day <laughs> and like prayers for that poor copywriter and like it listen it's not that person's job to know how that happened but you know how approvals go um there should be enough people in the room to um I don't know who read the news and has different experiences and love fashion and who would have just known that to say, Oh, uh, we can't say it like that because of this. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I just think, uh, hiring people who have different experiences and listening to them, you can have as much like as men, as much diversity in a room as you want. <laughs> but, um, if you are only going, um, and fighting for your vision, then like, what's the point? Yeah. Um, and I think so yeah. many people like, stop at just listening like truly hear people and what they have to say don't just be like okay well I took a meeting with this like group of people like great like mm -hmm. some of them were down with it so I'm down with it like right cool. like right. that's not exactly how it goes like definitely remember your vision but also like you know have strong opinions held loosely yeah it's like what is like know what is worth listening to and what is worth not budging on and not everything can not be budged on you know um I also think from a brand level, um, as everyone is expecting every brand to have a say in every, um, you know, social justice issue or current event, which is important, but I think it's also from a brand level important to know when to not speak up, mm -hmm. when your voice is not irrelevant and when you have nothing to say. And, um, I've seen a lot of brands in the last two years, uh, just put their foot in their mouths trying to say the right thing um, with good intentions, of course, or try to respond um, and look like they're in the conversation when really they have nothing to say. And it's like, dude, you're a brand. Like, we don't need your opinion. Like, certainly, if you have the people to do it right, then please let them, please. Because, like, there are, are also brands who do have the right people to say the right thing, and the people up top want to prove it because they don't want to get in the mix of it. You know, 100%. or, like, they don't want to be... They don't want to be, be political, like blah, 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 plot twist. Everything's political. Everything's um, political and choosing not yeah. to be is a privilege. Yeah, right. I have a, exactly. I have a, um, I mean, all my friends are in beauty, but I have a couple who work for beauty and skincare brands being like, you know, like we're late on pride. We don't know what we're doing. And I'm like, I don't like, even as a queer person, I don't like need you to do anything. Yes. I would like you to give money to like a queer organization. Please do that. But like, I don't need the big song and that like if you mm -hmm. got nothing to say then don't do it or play next year you know or just make a donation and say you did um and i you know and that's with, with every and all initiatives that that brands feel like they should speak to um you can't speak to everyone no one's asking for that um i don't know but that's just sort of like i think knowing when to stay quiet 
Um, and also, if you have nothing to say, but you have a platform, then give it to someone who does. You know, one hundred percent. I think so many people would benefit from just passing, you know, passing the passing baton the to someone that someone needs. To, like someone just needs to be heard. Like let them be heard yeah. on your account with a million followers. Exactly, and pay them. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's the biggest thing for me too. Well, it was so good to talk to you. Where can people find you? Well, um, you can find me all over social, whether you'd like it or not, uh, at Tynan Buck. Uh, it's my first name, Tynan, T-Y-N-A-N, Buck, B-U-C-K. Don't ask questions. I was 19. Uh, I also co-host a podcast about uh, fragrance and scent uh, with my best friend, Sable, at Smell You Later. We're on all your favorite streaming platforms. You can find us on Instagram at smellyoulater.mp3. Um, yeah, my writing's all over uh, the internet. <laughs>